We've been working through our series called Evidence. It's a study of the book of 1 John. And over the last few weeks, we've been discovering uh, many different evidences or tests that the Apostle John has given to us as Christians in order to kind of check the gauges of where you're at in your spiritual growth. Check the gauges of your Christianity. And we've talked about how John is writing so that believers may know that they have eternal life, that they may have assurance of their salvation, know where they are headed in their eternal destiny. However, when we look at how high the bar has been set, when we review all of these evidences, I think it's possible that we could feel discouraged and begin to question how much faith or how much growth we've done as believers. How much have we actually been displaying? One of the commentaries I read this week uh, from John Stott, he made this comment. He said, as I have studied this letter, talking about 1 John, in depth over the past few years, I have sometimes found myself beginning to wonder whether I have made any progress at all in the Christian life. The letter is written to give assurance, but not infrequently. It brings us to see how little like our Lord we really are and how much further we have to go. There are times when we feel, uh, going through a letter like this, when we feel like maybe we have a lot still to learn. It's humbling. This morning, uh, you, you probably heard the phrase, practice makes perfect. You probably heard that phrase, and those of you that have played sports or a musical instrument or really anything like that, why do you practice? Why is practicing important? To get better, right? You want to get better at whatever you're doing. If you've played sports, basketball, you're out there shooting so that you can get better, so that you can practice and know the exact way that you're supposed to do it. Those who play musical instruments, you practice so that you get better at that, right? I remember as, as a young child, my mom made me take piano lessons. My mom taught me piano. And she always said, you need to practice. But practicing wasn't as fun as playing outside or playing with Legos or playing with Hot Wheels cars, whatever it was at that point. It wasn't as fun. It seemed hard. It seemed difficult. I didn't like the time doing it. And now I say, I wish I'd practiced more. I wish I had kept doing that because now I would actually be using it. But I can't because I didn't practice, and I don't remember a lot of that stuff. So this morning we're asking the question, what are you practicing? We're going to dig into our verses this morning. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 2. 
If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. It's the end of the chapter, verse 28, and we're going to read through the end of chapter 3. So chapter 3, verse 24. I, I, rather than taking a microscopic look at the text and looking every verse this morning, because I don't know that we have the time to do that, I want to kind of zoom out a little bit. And I want to look at the text and see kind of the overview of what John is talking about in, in these two sections, the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3. It says this, chapter 2, verse 28. He says, and now, little children, remember this is John's endearing term to talk to the people there. He calls them children. He says, abide in him. So that when he appears, talking about Jesus, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. The song we just read, and John says, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known, known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whoever our heart, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. 
Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So in this large section of verses here, John's covering some similar topics, some topics that we probably heard before in the other parts of 1 John that we've studied. Topics of love, topics of obedience, topics about truth. But John likes to take these topics and look at them from different angles. Look at them from different perspectives. And he's talking about them over and over to really get his point across, to combat the false teachings. We've talked about Gnosticism. To combat the false teachings of Gnosticism. In verse 27, he was talking about abiding in God. He says, just as it is taught you, the Spirit... Abide in him. And he says, and now, little children, abide in him. He's repeating himself. He's kind of transitioning to the next section here. And he says, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. We may have confidence. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3 and the youth this morning, we were talking about Genesis chapter 3 and, and the problem of what sin brought to us. Sin brought shame. They were ashamed, so they went and hid in the garden. They were ashamed, so they covered themselves. But John says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, and you don't have to shrink from him in shame at his coming. You don't have to feel that shame. So basically, John is transitioning, and he's almost like he's begging us to ask this question. How do we have that confidence, John? How do we come up with that confidence and not be ashamed? Well, John communicates two different identities. Two identities that completely contrast one another To answer the question of how do we have confidence? The first way would be for us to not have confidence. He looks at the negative way. The two identities. The first is the child of the devil. And we're going to go over these fairly quickly. The first one, he says, the child of the devil practices sin and lawlessness. We talked about practicing. Practicing is so that you can get better at something, right? John says... That those who are a child of the devil are practicing sin. They're trying to get really good at it so they didn't get, don't get caught. I remember when I was younger, I lied a lot. The more I lied, the better I got at lying and people could not tell that I was lying to them. I practiced sin. I got good at it. Right? 
So a child of the devil practices sin and lawlessness because they don't know any better. They don't know that they shouldn't be sinning. Secondly, a child of the devil keeps on sinning. We talked about the the one who is living in darkness versus the one who's living in light. And they have no other options but living in darkness because they can't see. They've been blinded. They keep on sinning. The opposite of practicing sin is they do not practice righteousness. They have no concept of living a righteous life. And yeah, maybe they understand the rules that the government has set in place. But the only reason they do those is so that they don't get in trouble and they don't get caught. They do not practice righteousness. They they do not love their brothers. A child of the devil does not love his brothers. A child of the devil, John says, abides in death. Paul tells us in the book of Romans... For the wages of sin is death. Their outcome is going to be death. An eternal spiritual death. Not just talking about a physical death. But they abide in death. death. And finally, there's selfishness. A child of the devil is selfish. They're selfish. They, They don't know how to... Give to others, to bless others. That's the negative aspects. I wanted to do those quickly. And John gives a biblical example of those negatives. The biblical example is that of Cain. You remember Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. And Abel made a sacrifice to God and God accepted his sacrifice. But it says that Cain brought the produce of the land... And God did not accept Cain's sacrifice. Cain became jealous of Abel. God warns Cain. He says, sin is knocking at your door. You can do the right thing here. And God gave him instructions. You can do the right thing and obey. Or sin will have you. You will be in sin's clutches. Well, you know that Cain killed Abel. God comes to Cain, much like he did with Adam and Eve, and says, where is your brother? Cain Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? And God said, the ground that I created is crying out because of the blood that was spilt. The ground is crying out. Frank Gabeline, a... commentator, he said this, it is not that Cain, by murdering his brother, became a child of the devil, but by being a child of the devil, his actions were evil and culminated in the murder of his brother. So John gives us this biblical example of a child of the devil, and that's Cain. And John draws the conclusion that we as believers 
are also going to be hated because the world does not know us. He says in verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And so he looks at this negative example, being a child of the devil. But then the second identity he gives to us is a child of God. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. There's this, in the English language, we don't get the, the emphasis. It's like, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. No, there's an emphasis in there that's in the Greek. It, I like the song because it brings it out. Behold, what manner of love. There's an astonishment with the love that God has poured out. Being overwhelmed by the love of God. Maybe you as an adult have made a comment. I I found myself doing this at times. And I think, either I think to myself or I say it out loud, man, I sound just like my parents. Or maybe you've said these words to somebody or you've heard them spoken. Man, you look just like your parents. Or you look just like your dad. Or you look just like your mom. Maybe you've heard those words and you see the family resemblance. Well, as a child of God, we're to resemble our heavenly father. We're to resemble what he looks like, his character traits. And John gives us character traits here of how we're to resemble our father. He says, first, a child of God practices righteousness. A child of God practices righteousness. It means doing what is right, and that's according to God's standard, not the world's standard. Practicing righteousness. In verses 19 through 22, he says that practicing righteousness brings brings confidence. He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. John says if we're we're walking in the light as he is in the light, if we're obeying his commandments, if we're doing the things that please him, then when we're having these conversations with him, when we're praying with him, of course he's going to answer our prayer request because we're so in sync with one another. But there's an element there that even at times our heart will condemn us But we can say, no, that's not who I am. That is not my identity anymore because I am a child of God. Because God knows who I am. We do not have to feel condemned. We can have confidence before him. Secondly, 
a child of God purifies himself. And John's already covered this, 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a purification that happens there in the process of us confessing our sins. We know that we don't get, we don't get that purification on our own, that it comes through Jesus' sacrifice what we remember this morning through communion. Third, we avoid repetitive sin. John makes some bold statements. Verse 6, he says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And if you just quickly read through that, you think, well, then if I sin at all... I must not be a child of God. But we know that's not true because John has already talked about that. 1 John 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we know there's sin in here. So what is John talking about? What is John referring to, and I, I liked what Warren Wiersbe said, he said this, to practice sin is to sin consistently and as a way of life. It, it does not refer to committing an occasional sin. It is clear that no Christian is sinless. We talked about that, 1 John 1, 8 through 10. But God expects a true believer to sin less, not to sin habitually. There are going to be times of sin in our lives. John has dealt with that, that we need to confess our sin, that we need to be walking in the light and letting God's light penetrate our lives and show us that sin that's in our lives so that we can confess it. But what John is talking about here is somebody who continually and habitually walks in sinfulness. The Holy Spirit is not there to bring about that repentance, to bring about that confession. A child of God is also born of God. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with one of the spiritual leaders. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus asks, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, am I supposed to go back inside my mother so that I can be born again? I mean, it's this ludicrous idea. He's an adult male. It's not going to happen, right? It's not going to work. But Jesus says, no, there is a spiritual birth that must take place. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And he says to her that there is coming a time when I will be both worshipped in spirit and in truth. It's a spiritual rebirth. A child of God must be born of God spiritually. Fifth, a child of God loves his brother. 
loves his brother. John's already covered this. We've talked about this back in chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. We covered that a few weeks ago. A child of God is going to be hated by the world. That's possible. And Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 18. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world isn't going to understand why you do the things you do, and it's going to hate you. A child of God is generous. The opposite of the child of the devil. A child of the devil is selfish. And Paul says this about generosity in the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You farmers out there. The more seed you spread the more you get to harvest, right? If you only put one seed in the ground, you're not going to get a field full of crops, right? So the premise is there. He's saying whoever sows sparingly is also going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, whoever is generous with their life, will also reap bountifully. A child of God loves with actions. Loves with actions. In the book of James, James said in chapter 1, verse 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Don't just say you believe. You need to have actions with your faith. A child of God abides in God. We've been talking about the idea of abiding in God uh, throughout this last year, it's been our theme. And it comes from John chapter 15, where Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Think about a vine. They had grapes around there. They were one of the things that they, Jesus could have been referring to. And without the vine, the branch does not receive the nutrients to make the fruit. As Christians, we need to be going to Jesus to get our nutrients or else we're not going to be putting off the fruit. Because Jesus says, apart from me, if the branch is cut off from the vine, it's not receiving the nutrients. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing and so we need to receive our nourishment from Jesus Christ, not from anything else in the rest of the world, because everything else is not going to satisfy us. The only thing that will satisfy us is abiding in Jesus Christ. A child of God is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We talked about that, the Holy Spirit working in our lives, anointing us. Finally, the child of God keeps his commandments. And John gives it to us very plainly. He says, verse 23, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. 
He gives it to us very plainly, and it reminds me of Mark chapter 12, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. He said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There was no other commandment greater than these. John says it's belief in Jesus Christ and loving one another. Loving God and loving others. That's the greatest commandment. So in contrast to Cain being the biblical example, John communicates that our ultimate example to follow is Jesus Christ. He was the one who demonstrated love in a way that was sacrificial, laying down his life for others. And John says, as Christians, we need to be willing to do that. But we don't often get that opportunity to jump in front of a bus to push somebody else out of the way. We don't often get that opportunity. And so John makes it very practical. In verse 17, he says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John says there are things you can do, and if you have something and somebody needs something, give it to them. These are the steps. It's not just being willing to lay down your life. It's everything from there all the way back. Being willing to give when you see others in need. And John says in verse 8, the reason Jesus came, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. To annihilate him. And we know one day Jesus will come. There will be a battle. But we know who the ultimate victor is. Jesus Christ. So my question this morning uh, is, what are you practicing? The choices we have are, are you practicing righteousness or are you practicing sinfulness? Because whichever one you're practicing, you're going to get better at it. If you're practicing sinfulness, you can't expect to get better at righteousness. And if you're practicing righteousness, you can't expect to be getting better at sinfulness. Warren Wiersbe says this, a person who knows Christ and who has been delivered from the bondage of sin through Christ's death on the cross has no desire to obey Satan and live like a rebel. And then you think of what Paul said. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I keep on doing. Why? Because there's a sinfulness inside of us, but that's not what we want to do. Our desire no longer is to obey Satan, it's to obey God. It's to live in righteousness. So the conclusion this morning, our identity as God's children should be obvious because of the righteousness we practice. Because of the way we live our lives, it should be obvious. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your son and the demonstration of his willingness to lay down his life. The Bible says 
even yet while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. We were in our depravity. We were in our sinfulness. We were in lawlessness. We were as far away from you as possible. And yet, you took the step closer to us. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, you took the step in looking for them. Father, help us to day by day be saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. Help us to be repenting and confessing of the sins that we have. And God, that means that we're not going to turn back and do them again and again and again and again and again. But God, if we've gotten caught in that loop, The Bible says there's a way out. There's a way out, and that is through Jesus Christ and his redeeming power. It is through his community that he's put in place that we help pull each other up when we see each other stumble or fall or struggle. God, I pray that you would Illuminate our hearts and shine your love in our lives because we are children of God. We are a part of his family. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.